Hello. I've always believed that the world needs more positivity and um, more. We all can do with a little bit of hope in our lives, especially during these times when we have seen so much of misery and um, disaster all around us. Uh, three books that we have written, Dare to Be, Millionaire Housewives, and Daughters of Legacy, all have been stories, inspiring stories that we hope will bring some positivity and hope in the lives of others. As a continuation of that journey, when, when we are all you know, struggling to, to make some sense out of all that we see around us, we have started this new series of hope in the hope that it will, it will share some positivity in your lives and bring you a little more, much more closer to having faith in humanity. It is my pleasure to welcome to the studio today, Anya Wig, a college student and already bringing so much of hope and positivity in the lives of so many others. Welcome, Anya. And um, I'd like you to share a few words about yourself. Hi, Pooja. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. Like I said before this call, uh, it's great that you guys are giving a platform for so many voices to be heard and so many things to be heard by people. Um, I'm Anya Week. I'm 21 years old and I'm currently pursuing history honors at Lady Sri Lanka College for Women. Uh, I think I want to grow up to be a human rights lawyer and I've been doing a lot of social work and I have my own organization called Girl Uprise. And yes, I think that's a little bit about me. What Anya did not mention till now and what the purpose of our call of our discussion today is that Anya is also the founder of COVID Fighters, a WhatsApp group that has helped share information and help in other ways to people who've been struggling during this pandemic. So Anya, how did you get about starting COVID Fighters? Tell us a little bit about that. So COVID Fighters India, um, you know, it started off with a friend of mine who started the Discord community. It's another social media platform. Um, you know, initially we were just seeing a lot of people asking for a lot of requests on Instagram and other social media channels about, you know, things that they're looking for, be it oxygen cylinders, be it hospital beds. And we, we sort of realized that there was this huge lag between people who need the resources and people who can provide the resources. And we also sort of figured out that there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of fear and, you know, all of the people posting it on social media probably not getting the help that they want. And we decided to streamline the process a little bit. So we decided we're going to work on two things. Um, the Discord community is where we have around 13,000 people right now who on a daily basis, on a personal basis, help each other, where we have different states, where we have health need, need-based channels, we have state-based channels, etc. And WhatsApp is where we started doing our verification. So when this second wave sort of hit us, we also realized that there was so much inflow of information on the internet that if anybody is going through an emergency, they will not have time to go through so many messages, so many screenshots, so many numbers to call. They really need access to a place where they can just go. Because if you're going through so much trauma, you do not have the mental bandwidth to go through all of these changes. So that's sort of how we started out. Uh, in I would say we started out in desperation, in angst, in fear, in panic. And just to figure out a way how we can help as many people as we can and also to make sure that we are verifying information so that somebody else doesn't have to go through more trauma that, that, than that they already are. 
Okay. Yeah, it it was. I mean, I think those were terrible times. Uh, I'm glad it's not. It's hopefully we don't see those again during our lifetime. So, what is was there a trigger point? What started you out on this journey? So, I think a lot of people when they ask me, you know, what really started you look for a personal incident or some some sort of trigger. But there was no one thing that I can put my finger on. You know, just the fact that I could see so much panic around me was enough for me to want to do something. So, for, because for me, it became a question of life and death. It hmm. was no longer an emergency which could be handled by other people or which was being handled by other people or institution. It became something that we could have done something about. And if, hmm. and this is what I personally felt that if I wouldn't have stepped stepped in then. I don't know what could have happened, and just just this entire feeling of helplessness, and I couldn't sit at home anymore, watching people suffer, watching people look for things that they can't get access to, and I that was it. That was the only motivation that I had. I could see desperation, and I could see people going through so much pain, and I just wanted to do whatever I could to sort of ease that in whatever amount that I could. That's uh, truly admirable. So, um, tell us a little bit about the logistics part of it. It must have required, uh, you know, a whole huge of, uh, you know, planning and getting thirteen thousand volunteers is indeed uh, incredible. But how did you go about planning the whole thing and you know getting it to the point where it was it could actually help people? So this is sort of a long thing. Um, we just we divided our working into two processes. One is a personal community-based platform where, say, for example, you need help, somebody can help you directly because I'm probably some. If both of us stay in Bangalore, I can, I would probably know and I can help you. Which is why the Discord community came up, which right. is where thirteen thousand people are there. People joined it themselves. They would keep sending leads. They would keep and people would keep taking help from there. The other part was deciding what do we want to help with. So we made a list of things. There were beds, there were ambulances, uh, oxygen, and initially there was plasma, there was home ICU. Anything that you could imagine related to COVID is something that we decided to put on our spreadsheet. And our spreadsheet became our main intellectual property. So what we would do all day is call these resource bases that we had. So we we went pan India. We figured out that, and you know, we really didn't have an incentive for people to come and help us. But because there was some sort of a community feeling, some sort of shared empathy and shared grief that people were feeling, so that they came together, and I divided our entire structure in a, in a semi-hierarchical way, where you had different teams, you had different team leaders, and there would be slots where people would be working. Initially, like I said, we just jumped right into it, so there was not a lot of planning. It was only throughout, you know, the time that we were able to better execute things, but. Um, I remember there being days where we would work 20, 21 hours a day, and uh, it wasn't like two days. It was probably at least a period of two weeks where we would have spent at least more than 18 hours every day because the situation was so bad. And you know, once you were in it, you were actually in it. I feel like when we were lining up or signing up for it, we didn't know the intensity. But then there was. It was just us, and we could see it around us how many people needed the help. And then we started partnering with other organizations, other colleges, other societies, or different colleges. And I've had volunteers who were in school 
to someone who was 65 years old and down with covid wanting to help people because she didn't want them to go through the same thing we started we had a whatsapp bot an instagram bot a twitter bot websites applications we started doing we went all out i think in those two in that two month period we evolved a lot in how we could be better but uh, i wish we would have done that a little sooner but we really just jumped right in yeah it's uh, it's truly i mean it's inspiring to just listen to all this so tell us any one a couple any incidents that stood out for you during this time that you know will remain with you as um something that stays you know um i think you know it's difficult for me to say ki uh, this is one particular thing that will stay with me i think there was so much loss grief and trauma that we felt every day throughout those two months that every single case that we helped or were not able to help is going to stay etched in my memory till a very long time this is what i tell people that you know um, we're not mental health professionals we're not frontline workers we were never prepared for anything like this when we started out we were not prepared to listen to people crying on the phone we were not prepared for people to come and tell us that listen i really need this my mom is i've i've had incidences where people have told me that listen my mom is sitting on the pavement with an oxygen cylinder and hospitals are not taking her in because they don't have beds we've had incidences where there's this one night that really uh, sticks with me always uh, there were two patients that we lost in in a span of 15 minutes uh, not i wouldn't say we lost those patients because they weren't really ours in the first place but we couldn't help them and we didn't have time to step back and just go through the loss because you're helping someone it's not like these are just statistics for us and in the next 15 minutes we were able to have three more people with the same resource base that we had so you know this entire concept of realizing that there's not much that you can do it also depends on their luck timing accessibility so much more so many institutional issues that we figured this entire thing just accumulated into a lot of chaos and heartbreak and trauma loss grief any sort of description words that you might have so i would i wouldn't say that listen this is one night xyz date but this entirety of two months is something that i think it's going to take me and everybody who worked with me or went through that a really long time uh, to get over so um I, I mean, when I listen to all this, uh, I must say I'm a little far away from having witnessed it firsthand. But um, I can feel the heartbreak, you know, um, when when you have been helping somebody and um, you realize that your help came a little too late, or that you know it's it's not helped in that sense. Uh, how how did you? I mean, what helped you? I realize I realize that you've helped more people, but within your team also there must have been these kind of, you know, then others must have felt this heartbreak also. And I'm assuming a lot of you were young people like you, who've not really dealt with loss before or with heartbreak before to a great extent. So, did what helped you all get get through and then you know continue this effort of yours? any any insights anything that you can um, share yeah 
So what we uh, started to do initially was I started having these team calls where I wanted to figure out what problems people are facing so that I could help them and solve them. Mm-hmm. And these calls would happen at night because the day would be so taxing. And night, it would happen around 10, 30 to 11, some, sometime after dinner because we mm-hmm. knew the nights were really long. One right. thing I can tell you for sure is that the nights have been the most testing because that's when most patients fall sick and that's also when least number of people are available to help. Uh, but these calls slowly turned into, uh, I, would, I, wouldn't, I would like to say therapeutic sessions because these were a group of people who felt so deeply for what was happening around them coming together to talk about the same grief that everybody is going through. And there is, uh, you know, there is some connection that you have with people who are going through the same thing. A lot of people right. can sympathize with what you're going through, but there are only very few people who can really empathize because they're going through the same thing. And right. these calls started being one of those uh, places where we would for just a little while every night pretend that everything is okay. It would be a safe place. And if we would get an SOS call, we would start, uh, you know, we would start working on it because we would function from 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. in verification. And from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m., we would be an SOS team. We would just focus on the emergency calls that would come to us. So that mm-hmm. sort of um, became some sort of um, therapeutic thing. For right. us that, but but what I also made sure was that people who were working with me didn't burn themselves out. So I started figuring out a system where they can work for hours and slots in the day, where they don't have to work every day, not throughout the day. We also had uh, Youth Kiawas organize a mental health session for us and for all our volunteers. And this is something that I've been advocating since the beginning, that we're not just living in a pandemic, we're also living in a mental health crisis. And it's extremely important that we take a step back once needed, whenever needed. So we've been trying, I've been trying to help them as much as I can. But for me, I would say that these calls were the only uh, sort of way to get out of the situation for a while. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a mental health uh, crisis as well. And I guess that will, the mental health crisis will last a little longer than I think the pandemic will. And it's something that we need to be cognizant of and do something about. I agree there totally. So tell us a little bit about the challenges you faced. I mean, apart from the, you know, what we just discussed in terms of logistic, organizing, planning, any any challenges and anything that, you know, sort of heartened you guys, both sides. Tell us a little bit about that aspect of the. So um, initially, the problem was figuring out what to do. How do you help people? That was a right. ma- major logistical issue. Then figuring out that, you know, okay, if you're ready to help people, we don't really have the resources to help people. How do you help someone who's staying probably in the western part of India where you stay in the central part or somebody who's in Kashmir where you know nothing about Kashmir? So we started uh, to figure out and started amplifying on social media how we're going to have a team structure where we had volunteer forms and we had organization pushed it out. That was one big issue for us to get a team of people who can really help. The second issue was figuring out how to really do it because, you know, logistical issue is the fact that there are no there are no resources. Even if I put 500 people on work, which they were working day in and day night, 
we didn't have the resources i couldn't have made a hospital i couldn't have arranged oxygen because i'm not a supplier and there was a huge 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 lack of these resources that that was the biggest problem and you know uh, another thing that i think a lot of people don't highlight is the fact that again we're just volunteers who voluntarily signed up for this so a lot of people would come back and take it out on us how our resources didn't right. help them that was another thing that a volunteer would have to go through not just the fact that they're putting in so much to help people but also to get that kind of a bad reaction i personally didn't go through something like that but i've known people who've gone through the trauma of listening to people that listen you're the reason why we didn't get help and i think um, another huge problem was figuring out technology in the beginning you know i might be someone who's tech savvy but somebody who needs a resource might not be tech savvy right. they might not know how to use a google spreadsheet so to figure out and talk every day to different people make a website talk to more websites figure out how people can access through whatsapp through phone call through smss through just making sure that at least whatever we are doing is reaching out to not just people who come from a privileged background but beyond that so it there were just so many layers to this entire thing that i think way too many road roadblocks uh lesser solutions but i think a strong team is what pushed us through all of those roadblocks okay okay uh i'm sure this journey has taught you a lot of things there have been huge learnings from this journey that you've gone through any any learnings in particular that you felt you know have will will really stay with you and help you uh, as a human rights la- lawyer as well and any other plans that you have for the future uh in fact two very opposite things that i've learned that some people are extremely empathetic and will be there regardless because they really feel for what is happening and they're very humanly in that approach but at the same time a lot of people are extremely apathetic to what is happening and i realize that there are a lot of systematic failures in institutions and it's not just the accessibility but also the mismanagement in communication and coordination right um and i feel like empathy and apathy which are complete opposites are my two biggest takeaways from this entire thing right right um it is um, i mean if you step back i and i think uh, once you are uh, once we you know once you are out of the woods and you step back you you do realize the different dimensions of human behavior that exist and you know how personalities that exist within the same community can differ so much i guess that's one of the life lessons you learn when you work as a community and as uh, you know it's it's a one one biggest learning from the pandemic is certainly that the way i had is together as a community you, existence alone is you know you can't exist alone survival is only when you band together so hopefully those who remained apathetic start you know moving towards the other end of the spectrum so um that's that's the hope that we want to share that you know helping others also helps you in some way i guess it helps you grow and um, helps you um, develop in other ways you know some sort of um, some sort of respect for life i guess yeah yes um so um 
what about funding did you did your organization have a how how did you manage the whole funding part of it or or wasn't that so not we, no so that wasn't involved because i realized that i like i said i wanted to work with people who were empathetic and not who wanted incentives to work so i we didn't have a concept of money at all uh, okay. there were organizations who were more than willing to help us and people who made the instagram bot or the whatsapp bot for us which is an automatic way for people to access these resources they did it on a pro bono basis because they knew that it is the need of the hour and everybody who worked with us worked because they wanted to simply because i mean uh, you know i've had people work with me because they've lost close uh, family members immediate family members friends uh, to the pandemic to lack of accessibility of resources and that was enough reason for them to come forward and i also realized that there, you have to pick your battle and fight right. that right uh anya i think your screen has frozen let me just see um Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, your visual seems to not be there, but I can One hear second. you. I'm just trying to figure it out again. I feel some issue with the phone. Okay, can you hear? You can see me now, right? I can see you. I can yes. see you well now. Yeah. Yeah. So. so yeah. Um, i was saying that we had to choose the battle that we wanted to fight we couldn't have gone for fundraising and distribution because we were focusing so much on this work so all the things that we did was without funding right no bono right right yeah i i guess uh, that sort of makes it easier because funding and money takes a whole different logistical is a whole different logistical ball game altogether so um so where are you now with covid fighters i guess we are out of the woods uh, as far as you know those days and nights of endless days and nights are concerned but um, do you still get sos calls how where where is it now so um, what we did was we decided to take a break from the work that we were doing uh right because i realized we had reached a state of complete exhaustion not just me but everybody working with right. me so we decided to halt operations for a while but we still do get a lot of sos calls uh i wouldn't say we're completely out of the woods because i have a feeling and this is not just a feeling it's a fact that the cities are much better the states the central part of the states are much better off but it's actually hit the rural areas now and we don't right. get to know the ground reality because it's not being reported and we can't help them from here um but we also took a pause um noting the fact that if there is another wave and god i hope there is no other wave but if there is another wave and people do need us again we will come back we will do right. all that we did last time 
but for now we've sort of halted our operations but if any time we get an sos because we have that sort of a community which is based and people know that we work for this uh we do reach out to people and help them all our databases all our information is still online accessible to anyone who needs it at any point of time and i think we are hoping that nobody really needs us ever but we are going to come back if at all there is any need mm-hmm. or any help that is required of us um thank you anya it has been like truly uh, admirable and inspiring to listen to you and it gives us me especially hope when i see the younger generation step up and claim you know their um, their right claim their right to a better world and you know work towards a better world so uh, truly admirable and congratulations i heard there's some good uh, stuff in uh, store in the future for you so tell us a little bit about that and how that happened if yes. you know yeah. yeah so um i recently got selected uh, for a fellowship in the united states by the united states uh, uh government for a program on women leadership i was nominated by india so it is a program which has 87 women across the world from 23 countries and we're going to be learning a lot about women leadership how to be a leader and we're going to be working on projects that we can actually undertake eventually hoping that we get seed investment for whatever work that we want to do so like in the beginning i told you guys that i've been working uh, with my own organization so i was nominated by my college and then uh, the indian government selected me and now there are four girls from india who are going to go to the states to study um for the entire for six weeks i think and which that's something that's just very recently started and i'm looking forward to it extremely uh to learn what i can do as a leader because i think coming out of these situations i've also realized that i'd want to learn more how to be better and not just get empowered but also empower people along me so i think this program uh is definitely going to help me well congratulations uh, it is well deserved and um hope wish you the very best for the future uh, leaders like you i'm sure will inspire a lot of others to just extend a small hand in help to you know those who need it a small small gesture can make a big difference in somebody's life so um yes to more leaders like you and the very best for your journey i had thank you so much for thank being part so of uh, this this interview thank you thank you for having me here okay. bye bye